Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk a little about a nutrient that every farmer needs, every person producing any crop needs. It's sulfur. And I'll just say it this way. When Darren and I were growing up in the farm, we used to get lots of free sulfur, literally raining down from the sky because of pollution. Well, today we have cleaner air. The bad news with cleaner air, though, is we don't get all that free sulfur anymore. So as farmers, we have to fertilize for it. And I would just say there are a few other things with sulfur that are important, a few little tips you need to know. So we're going to talk about those things throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us about sulfur or anything going on in your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. We'll get to the agphd mailbag in just a minute, but probably the next most important thing you need to know about sulfur that I wanted to talk about real quick is just the fact that it leaches. So we've already talked about you don't get the free sulfur coming down from the sky so much anymore. And you have to be concerned with it because it leaches. So what happens is sulfate will leach at roughly half the pace of nitrate. So if you think about how leachable nitrate is in your soil, just figure that sulfate will go out at about half that speed. So if you are in really a really dry area and you have really heavy soils, your sulfur isn't all going to disappear in a year or anything like that. It's going to hang around for a while. But if you have sand and you have irrigation or lots of natural rainfall, yeah, your sulfur is probably not going to make it a real long time. In fact, you may be in the situation where almost every time you put nitrogen on, you should probably put a little bit of sulfur on as well. If I had irrigation, for example, every time I'd be running that pivot, it would have a little nitrogen and probably just a a little trace of sulfur in it as well. If you look at the nutrient removal charts, you will find that sulfur, it's not a micronutrient. And people continue to refer to it as a micronutrient. That's absolutely not true. I was just going to pull up the Ag PhD fertilizer removal apps and give you the exact number. But if I punch in corn, and let's say I'm going for 250 bushel corn. Do you know how much sulfur your crop needs? 38 pounds. 38 pounds. It's not like any of these micronutrients need a half a pound or two-tenths of a pound or maybe two pounds at the most. No, you need 38 pounds of sulfur to raise 250 bushel corn. That's a bunch. So if you want a successful crop, I don't care what crop you're raising, make sure you are at least somewhat focused on sulfur. It's got a lot of important things it does in the plant including it helps make nitrogen more efficient. Everybody's talking about nitrogen and, oh, it's expensive. I don't want to put on more nitrogen. Well, if you have the right level of sulfur in your soil and in your plant, you won't have to use as much nitrogen, and you'll get just as much for yield and just as much out of that nitrogen because it becomes more efficient when your sulfur levels in the plant are good. All right, like I say, we'll talk more about sulfur throughout the show today. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Okay, Brian, there are a couple of these questions I know you already responded to, but we, we've been getting some pictures in with leaves and guys wondering uh, what what's happening with leaves. I know we had uh, that one. Did you want to talk about that one anymore? Or we're just seeing some early stages of tar spot and, and guys even in areas where it Where's hasn't the been confirmed yet. the rest of the stuff? Yet that I would have 
I mean, did we not print the rest of that out? Okay, yeah, this is making great radio for you here. We're talking about pictures and stuff we email back and forth. And, oh, yeah, this is amazing. No, here's what the deal is. Um, we, we get a lot of these pictures in, and sometimes I will say it is, it's really hard to tell for sure from a picture. People are talking about diseases. What disease do I have? So this one was John in Ohio, and he just said, hey, um, we are finding some tar spot in the area, but this doesn't look like tar spot. What do you guys think this is? And it was one plant in particular that was way worse than others. So let me start with that. Why would one plant be way worse than other plants. Honestly, it's it's just dumb luck. That's where the inoculum landed. It got a good start. And, and we see this from time to time where, oh, there's one plant that looks horrible. It really got the disease bad. And then some of the rest of the plants didn't. I mean, honestly, think about it just like human beings. Um, let's say everybody in your family gets sick. One person gets really sick. And then there are several people that, oh, they barely got a little sniffle, and, and that was it. So anyway, I would just say this. Uh, what we saw, what I thought I saw here was eye spot, possibly a little bit of spider mite damage. So one of the big things we're always going to encourage you to do, scout on a regular basis. When you see things like this, just ask people, and especially somebody who could be in your field also, because what we're looking for a lot of times is patterns in the field, and like spider mites, there's no picture you can send us that I'm going to say, oh, for sure that's spider mites, because you can't visually see the spider mites. If you send me a picture of a grasshopper or a bean leaf beetle or something, oh, I know definitely, yeah, that's that's what's going on. But my guess here was it's eye spot. That's not one of the worst diseases you can have. It's not like tar spot or anything else. And uh, John's other question was, is it too late to spray fungicide now? I mean, we're, we're mid-July here, and a lot of corn is tasseled out, fully tasseled out. No, it's definitely not. Even if you're at brown silk, it's not too late to spray fungicide. But the big thing we're always going to tell you is this. If you go out and scout your fields and you see it's loaded with disease, you've already lost a bunch of yield. Spraying fungicide might help you, but you've already lost so much of your yield potential. I, I'm not going to promise you that it's going to pay. It might stop the disease at that point so things don't get worse, but you can never recover that yield that you have lost. So that's why spraying preventatively is so important. Fungicides are great at preventing disease. They're lousy at curing disease. So, and I know some of the manufacturers and even some agronomists will be out there saying, well, some of the trizols have curative properties. Yeah, don't buy into any of that. I've never found that to be true at all. Nothing has curative properties in my experience. It's just preventing future disease or stopping disease at that point. So always try to be on the early side. Yeah, if it's just a little eye spot here and there, probably no big deal. But boy, if tar spot <laughs> gets in your area, try to spray early. Stay tuned. We'll talk sulfur next. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working Lucento fungicide. 
control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. back you're listening to ag phd radio we're broadcasting from the morton studio talking about sulfur on today's program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD got our friend kyle long on he works with kinsey ag kinsey ag uh, is neil kinsey of course and and uh, kyle long a big piece of that operation kyle how you doing today I'm good, Dan. How about yourself? I'm doing well. We're talking sulfur, and you know, I know you get to look at soil tests from literally all over the world uh, to help folks mm-hmm. manage nutrients like sulfur. It is so different if you have lots of rainfall. It's so different if you have lighter soils. I mean, there's a lot of challenges with a nutrient like sulfur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and what we see is uh, mainly like here in the Midwest where we have uh, actually more issues than not with sulfur. Uh, we can... We don't find very much accumulation of it, but uh, in that higher environment, we actually see more compaction because we have a lot more clay in our soil, too. So sometimes we're even having to deal with uh, excessive sulfur in some situations, which I would say anything around 200, over 200 parts per million sulfur. Uh, Usually we try and use uh, something like gypsum to mediate or remediate high magnesium environments. But if you have a high sulfur in that case, like 200 parts per million, then we actually start shying away from the use of gypsum mostly, but that's you know, uh, just that, one of our things. That's a that's a good point, Kyle. We just had a question last week. Actually, Brian and I were just talking about it over the break uh, of a guy that had mm-hmm. uh, a, a bunch of sulfur in some poorly drained spots, and he was trying to get rid of some other things, and he already had a lot of the tools there to do at least part of the job with the sulfur that's there. What do you look at on that? Do you look at two feet depth on a soil sample? You're trying to deal with a, a remediation kind of thing, or, or where do you look in the profile to, to hit that number? Uh, generally, the feet, the majority of your feeder roots are in the top two inches, so that is uh, a very big point of uh, trying to look at and trying to remediate that. But really all we do is broadcast on the top and trying to get some of that infiltration down into the lower uh you know, the top six inches where all of that uh, more uh, aerobic bacteria is going to be able to convert and, uh, you know, use for the plants. Because 
if you have a lot of compaction, then your root your rooting depth isn't going to be that far down anyway. So, you know, you have to use like soil conditioners or something to try and open that up and start draining some of that or just break it up. But in general, we try and, uh, you know, the top two inches where the majority of the feeder roots are. So that's where our, we want our concentration of uh, nutrition. Uh, but we want it to go down as far as, uh, you know, as the aerobic bacteria will take it, you know. Kyle, one of the one of the neat things that you do at Kinsey Egg, you make very detailed recommendations based on soil tests of here's exactly the type of fertility you put on and the type of soil amendments that you put on, the exact amounts, the, what order to do it, these kinds of things is why people love Kinsey Egg. When you look at the sulfur recommendations, how has that changed over the years? Have you seen an increase in the amount of sulfur that, that your growers are looking for and, and that you're recommending? Uh, actually, I have. Uh, over the past few years, so used to traditionally, sulfur was thought to have came from like the, uh, you know, industrial plants. And there was uh, people looking at that uh, would say, oh, well, there's plenty of sulfur. We don't need that because there was already an excess amount that was falling from the air in most of the spots around here. And now we're seeing that, uh, you know, adding sulfur is becoming a lot more beneficial. And, you know, used to there was a, a plethora of it uh, available but now we're seeing that we're having to put i know i used to do 20 parts per million was our minimum now i'm starting to see 30 to 40 parts per million be my my minimum that i try and recommend even on soybeans because we have such uh, better disease resistance with uh, sulfur and it it's necessary for the chlorophyll formation and even the promotion of nodulation and legumes much like molybdenum is so it's a very important uh essential element i think and that we don't get enough of anymore uh, because it's being used up like all that uh, was being used up by the plant and we can increase re rooting as much as 30 to 50 percent in some cases by using a little bit more uh, sulfur and just find more uh, formation of amino acids and just better plant health yeah a lot of different fact a lot of different um processes in the plant that sulfur gets involved mm -hmm. in and a lot of folks talk about nitrogen too that when they're putting some sulfur out there with the nitrogen they're, they're right. happy they did that so yeah it's mm -hmm. a it's a really big deal sulfur as you mentioned it's a secondary nutrient but it's getting to be one of the primary nutrients that farmers are focusing on not just here in the u.s but around the world we're talking with kyle right. long here with kinsey ag kyle thank you so much we really appreciate having you on today Thank you very much. Looking forward to your field day. You bet. Yeah, it's coming up soon. The Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Uh, you can find all the details at agphd.com. Got Matt Swanson on right now. Works with the Extreme Ag Group and farms in western Illinois and beyond. Matt, you guys catching some rain now? Yeah, Darren, I don't actually think it's rained about every other day since we had our Derecho uh, <laughs> go through. So. That's what it took. That's what it took, I guess. It's a tough price to pay for it. Yeah, it's uh, we're still picking stuff up, but it is what it is. So, you know, when you look at sulfur, when we don't get the rain, I guess you aren't so worried about losing it. But now that you are getting the rain, it's like, oh no, we we need the sulfur around right at this time. Is that something that you feed late in the season too, where you farm, or do you have heavy enough ground? Do you think you got plenty? No, I mean, I would say I don't. I probably don't have a single field that is at a comfortable level soil test wise for sulfur. But yeah, we. You know, both of our side dress passes will have sulfur in it uh, at, at this timing. And then we've actually looked into um, 
side dressing some soybeans just for the additional sulfur. That was going to be my next question. Uh, we just had Kyle Long on with Kinsey Ag, and he said even on the soybeans now, they're they're pushing guys up to thirty to forty part per million minimum on soil tests. That's that's probably among the more aggressive recommendations I've heard. What what do you shoot for? Do you shoot for a certain amount of pounds of applied sulfur, or are you looking at soil test levels? Well, I'd say we we look at soil test levels to kind of gauge where our applied levels are going to be at. If that. <clears throat> makes sense which i think it does um you know our, our typical soil test here for sulfur is in the 20 pounds per acre range or 10 parts per million um give or take you know probably five so we've got some fields that are probably five parts per million and some that are 15 but typically i would like to see 40 to 50 so um and maybe even a little bit beyond that depending on what soil type it is so now you mentioned uh experimenting a little bit on the side dress on beans. Have you done the ammonium sulfate approach late in the season before? Is that, or what is kind of your standard to, to feed those beans? Well, so I actually pulled the uh, R1 AMS application up here from Matt Miles. We've used that successfully in the past. And I think, and I think that works okay. Um, in the, Road beans, I, I would almost rather be along the road, but it is another step, of course. But typically when we're doing that, the beans are smaller, so um, we don't get them wrapped up in the sprayer wheels like you would latency. Sure, sure. Yeah, they, they're they really starting to grow now. I, I was pretty impressed with our soybeans here. We've got a couple little shots of rain, and that's exactly what they needed to, to start taking off. So you're right, those windows for application can close up on you awfully quick. You know, when you look at uh, fall fertility, a lot of times these leachables we're not including in that fall fertility, but for residue breakdown and those types of things, do you use any amount of sulfur when you put stuff out in the fall? Yeah, so we've either used um, straight AMS or we've used um, liquid AMS with our fall burn down and fall residual chemistry, um, either one. Um, both work. Obviously, the, the liquid AMS or costs a little bit more than the, than the straight AMS, dry AMS does. But. One last question for you, Matt. we got about a minute left. Uh, one of the cool things working with the Extreme Ag Group, uh, I know a lot of farmers like to ask you questions, and I'm betting some are pretty shocked at, at how big a deal sulfur is for you and for the other guys. Well, I mean, sulfur, you know, as far as if you look at the kind of the order of, of nutrients, sulfur is number one on our list. I mean, a lot of things just work better with sulfur in the equations, especially in a, in a high mag soil. So, um it's definitely something that we didn't focus on 10 years ago that's become a huge focus. Well, you definitely have to change with the times, and as you get more information, that's one of the cool things with the Extreme Ag Group. we got Matt Swanson on here sharing a little information about sulfur application today. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate what you do. Look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds good, Darren. Appreciate it. You bet. We'll talk more about sulfur and take your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 Yield Saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 Yield Saver. Talking sulfur today on Ag PhD Radio and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. All right, I kind of figured we better plan on having Kellen Huber on the show today with Keltec Ag up in Saskatchewan, or he was just going to call in anyway and talk about sulfur. Kellen, <laughs> I know you like this topic, so I thought let's just get Kellen on the calendar here because uh, sulfur is one of your passions. Oh, is it one of my passions? That's for sure. I'm actually standing at a trade show up in uh, northern Saskatchewan here right now and watching it rain as it's coming down. And it's kind of being abusive to us because we are under a tremendous amount of drought stress. And now Mother Nature is playing her hand at, you know, giving a whole bunch of rain to all these farmers that are trying to at least get some kind of silage for, you know, the cattle industry because of the drought. But boy, sulfur would have been a good thing to play with at that point in time. You know, when you look at sulfur, it's one of those nutrients that it's not N, P, or K. And so sometimes that seems to be the sole focus is just N, P, and K, and we kind of miss out on this super important nutrient. Well, 
And you're 100% correct in that. And keep in mind, sulfur comes in two different forms that are usable. One is a soil amendment and the other one is a uh, sulfate, which is going to stimulate nitrogen. It's going to stimulate a lot more micronutrients and different stuff in the soil. But in today's program, you know, just getting, you know, I've, I've listened to Matt talk earlier and Kyle talk earlier and, you know, Kyle kind of stole a whole bunch of my thunder, you know, but he's <laughs> he tends to do that. Great. He tends to do that. He said to do that. He oh, tends, perfect. tends perfect. to do that. Yes. He tends to do that. Yeah. Throws all out there. But, you know, when you're talking about sulfur, you know, you definitely got to look at a lot of the different things that are going on in today's soil, magnesium, calcium, micronutrients all come into play. That sulfur is that key energy to make all those come available. So, and as far as parts per million, you know, that's going to range depending whether you're talking sand soils, whether you're talking high clays, loams, you know, but definitely getting a, a higher sulfur content into your soil is always going to be a beneficial and return on investment. You know, the other thing that's challenging with this nutrient, Kellen, is we need it all season long. We need it to be available every day of the growing season. And yet, if we put it all out up front, it might not be there late. And if we intend to come in in season with an application, well, we might get held out due to rain or weather or whatnot. We might not get it on time. So it's a little bit of a challenge. Well, sulfur is a highly mobile nutrient in the soil. It moves with water, so the more water, and it's a negative ion, so when it takes and doesn't attach to anything in the soil, water will take and move it through the soil profile. So you're 100% correct, Darren, when you're taking and trying to figure out what is your sulfur needs. You know, I in springtime, in my practice, and this is what I do, is I actually put a fine micron sulfur out, and we usually spread it. And we try and get that on the soil and we're taking and looking at to convert to sulfuric acid. So it'll actually work in combination to deal with magnesium and some sodium areas. And then I'll actually take and, you know, take, we have a new product up here in Canada that's, it's called the Arctic S and it's a 110075. And I've been doing a lot of work with the, with this company. I'm actually standing in their booth at the farm show talking about, and I got people staring at me too. And they're wondering, what am I talking about right now? But I'm talking to the phone and I'm talking to a great uh, organization of the States. And, you know, when you talk about the, the fine micron sulfur, it takes and breaks down very quickly and actually does a lot of pH correction and, and takes away a lot of those stressors. And we talk about germination. We actually got beautiful pictures where we have this fine micron sulfur attached to legumes, our lentils, and the nodulation is just incredible. Guys just can't believe that there's that many nodulation. And, you know, where sulfur was told for many years never to deal with legumes or in row because of its toxicity. So understanding what sulfur profile and what sulfur product you're dealing with also brings in a big part of it. So well, you mentioned, sulfur is you mentioned, always uh, channels through the Oh, I was going to say, Kellen, you mentioned that, that this sulfur, when you have that fine micron size, can get to work right away. And that's that's been another complaint that farmers have had about especially elemental sulfur forms that man it just took forever to get that stuff to become available and actually do the work that it was going to do this really solves that problem too about speed of activity 
Oh, and you're 100% correct on that, Darren, because when we're doing sap testing, and I've kind of leaned into sap testing and a little bit of tissue testing, but in my particular situation, I've been dealing with some sap testing, which is in the local form here in Western Canada, that we can actually get some, you know, within three, four days, get the sap test back. And right now, we just, I actually was just looking at some on the weekend here, and our sulfur in the plant is right off the charts, which is excellent because it's going to go into reproductive mode here right quick, like, so it's going to draw a lot of that energy to take and form ahead, you know, nitrogen conversion, micronutrient conversion. So you always want to make sure that you've got a good elemental sulfur and a good sulfate sulfur to take and work on different forms of nutrients to get a good uptake into the plant because putting it down in your soil is one part of it, but getting it up into the plant so that you're dealing with disease cycles, dealing with uh, micronutrient deficiencies or in excessives, sulfur is one of those key components to uh, really help overall productivity of soils. You know, if you're having challenges with plant growth, there are a lot of functions that the secondary and micronutrients are involved in. Today we're focused on one of the secondary nutrients that's actually needed in pretty good quality quantities in the plant it's sulfur and we get our friend kellen huber with Keltech ag talking about it a little bit as well kellen i know you're busy today i can hear uh, things going on at the trade show hopefully you have a great show and thank you so much for being on today really appreciate it hey thank you very much i sure appreciate your time Take- and then i cut kellen off right at the end uh you know brian kellen's always so passionate about sulfur and, and he mentioned something at the end there uh less disease pressure when we get nutrients in balance we, we just get rid of some of those extra stresses and the plant's able to defend itself a lot better. Yep, absolutely. Now, when we say that, that doesn't mean all disease issues are going to go right, away. Right, right. Oh, we don't like need that. fungicide anymore ever. Right, right. But, yeah, I mean, we just want to have a healthier plant. I talk about this all the time. It's Plants are very similar to human beings. If, as a human being, I have poor nutrition, guess what? I'm much more likely to get sick, get a disease, have something go wrong inside me. Uh, and granted, most of the time we're dealing with annual crops here, corn, soybeans, wheat. There, I mean, most of the crops that we're raising here in the United States and up in Canada, they're annual crops. So, I mean, you go, well, this plant only has to be here for four months or six months or whatever. Even so, I mean, if you have better nutrition, you're going to have a better stock. You're going to have better grain quality. Everything is going to be better inside that plant. And sulfur is just a really big key. Like I said earlier, it takes a lot of sulfur. I mean, sulfur is a secondary nutrient along with magnesium and calcium. So, sure, it's not the primary nutrients. It's not NP or K. I mean, you need a ridiculous amount of NP and K out there, but don't be forgetting about sulfur. And it's kind of hard, too, because let's face it, on the farm, for many of us, we get trained by our parents and our grandparents. Well, your parents and your grandparents didn't have near the yield you do today, and they had free sulfur that they were getting from air pollution. And on top of that, if you look at the percentage of people who were farming like two generations ago that had livestock, it was very high, and today it's pretty low. A lot of people are specializing more in crop production today. And my point here is if you have livestock, what are you doing? You're spreading manure. What does the manure have in it? It's got sulfur. I will throw this out, too, just because we get a lot of questions about lime. I love water treatment lime because that also has sulfur. 
be sure you're testing anything you're putting on your ground. You want to find out what all the nutrients are, not just nitrogen or phosphorus. But you want to find out, hey, do I have any sulfur out there? Because maybe you can save a little money on your fertility program, your commercial fertilizer, if you're getting sulfur in manure, in lime, in something else. So anyway, yeah, super important nutrient. Focus on sulfur and you will have better yields on your farm. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for as little as $2,100 per bin with the end zone for corn from FarmShop MFG. Learn more at FarmShopMFG.com. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about sulfur, but we're going to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag. If you have a question for us, you can email us radio at agphd.com or just give us a call at 844 44 AG PhD. 
All right, get this from David. He said, guys, I sent a sample of gypsum to the University of Georgia to get an analysis, and it came back in parts per million. I want to know what's, what's, what is it in pounds per acre? Why do labs do this? Yeah, well, it's one of the things where when you send stuff in, say, can you please give me pounds per acre? All right, so here, here are the numbers he gave us. Uh, for calcium, 237,523. All right, if that's out of a million, then you just move that decimal pl decimal point six places. That gives you 23.7% or 23.8%. So you got 23.8% calcium. And I'm assuming you're missing one of the numbers for the sulfur because it's not going to be 0 0.01. It's most likely 11% sulfur. So just move that decimal point six places over, and then you got it. So if something is... 23% out of a million, well, then that it's 23% out of anything. So that's all we're after here. So yeah, I know it gets a little confusing. Um, fortunately, I uh, took a lot of math classes in college, so that, that helped me. Yeah, and you remember <laughs> some of that? That's good. Okay, so this comes from Chris. No, this, is, this is literally like high school uh, math kind of thing where we, we would have to go through some of these things too. And just talking about parts per million, we're used to dealing with soil test stuff. So we do conversions like that all the time here on the farm. All right, so this comes from Chris down in southeast Missouri, and, and he had a question here a week ago. This was a follow-up. He said, all right, talk to me about P and K. What should my levels be in a 10 CEC soil, and how much of that could I put on in one pass? Here, here's the thing. There's not one right exact answer for anyone because it depends on your rotation. It depends on how you can apply this stuff. It depends on cost. It depends on rainfall. And I, I just, I, everybody's goals are a little bit different. So let's, let's turn this question around a little bit and just say, okay, uh, where, where is he from? Did you say Missouri? Southeast Missouri. Yeah, Missouri. Okay, let's say I own the land, and it was mine in southeast Missouri. This just reminds me, yesterday I was speaking with uh, with Jerry Galke, great grain marketer in the country, and and his group. And I had one farmer ask a, a question. We were talking about soil testing a little bit, and he goes, well, I've got this piece of ground where I, it doesn't matter. I can put on as much lime as I want, and it doesn't change anything. And I go, well, that sounds like a piece of ground I'd like to own, and I'd love to give that a shot. So anyway, everybody handles things a little bit different. Everybody has different goals. For me, I just I kind of like the challenge of some of those things. But yeah, if I've got a 10 CEC ground in, in Missouri, just understand this. Without irrigation, it's going to be tough to raise a crop because you've got to count on constant rainfall because it's hot in Missouri and a 10 CEC soil will not hold a lot of moisture. So either got to have irrigation or constant rainfall. But anyway, phosphorus fortunately does not leach. So I mean, unless you way overdo it, but even in a 10 CEC soil, I personally like my phosphorus level to be on a Malik 3 test, 100 parts per million. That's kind of my minimum for what I'm going for, 250 bushel corn, 80 bushel beans. So, but again, your goals may be different, what you're after, crop you're raising, all that kind of stuff. So for me, I like getting the phosphorus out. I'd put it out in the fall or the very early spring, but preferably the fall. So I'm set. And then we do variable rate stuff on our farm. So we get to that 100 and then we kind of call our quits. 
So in other words, on some ground, we might put no phosphorus on in a given year, and others, we might put a fair amount. Also, I will tell you, if you can inject your phosphorus down in the soil, that's a great thing too, because now you don't have to worry about the erosion loss. Because phosphorus, like I say, doesn't really move in soil. So if you put it on the soil surface or in just the top couple inches, then if you have an erosion of that soil, well, guess what? The phosphorus goes with it. So always keep that in mind with phosphorus. Now, potassium is a little bit different. We often call potassium up here where we farm non-leachable because we don't we barely get any rainfall and we have real heavy soil. In your case, that's light soil and you probably get double the rainfall compared to us, maybe more. So potassium can move down to some degree in your soil. I'd still put some out there in the fall and I'd manage it that way. But in the middle of the growing season, if you've gotten lots of rain, you're going for big time yields, you could always add a little bit more potassium in season. So that's kind of how I'd handle potassium a little bit differently than phosphorus in your soil than I would handle it in mine. In my soil, uh, I'd just put it all on in the fall and call her good. Quite frankly, we don't get enough rain most years to break down that the potash that we're putting on in year one. So that's part of the reason why we're using liquid potassium, low-rate liquid, low-salt fertilizer, with our planter every single time because I want to make sure that I have available potassium early in the season and then we kind of count on the soil potassium and the potash and stuff to take care of us later. All right, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, Brian, we had some soil tests come in talking about salinity here and this one is from uh, oh, I'm sorry. We covered that one. I, oh, my answer for salinity is tile. You want better drainage and salts will leach away. So not a real big problem. Hey, Darren, let's jump to the phone lines quick. We got uh, Keith calling in from Ohio. Unfortunately, sounds like he had some hail last night. Keith, how you doing today? Well, pretty good, but we didn't need this hail damage. So I thought I need to call the experts and see what they, they think. And uh, have, have, so... Well, well, thanks for calling us, and sorry to hear about the hail. We get hail almost every year. I, I'm going to knock on wood a little bit here. We haven't had hail yet this year. Unfortunately, I know it may be coming yet, so we'll see. But anyway, how how bad is right. it? But that's why I thought I'd call you. So I know you guys get hail out there. Well, it was uh, not a real big pocket, but it hit my farms with uh, soybeans, and they were about R2, R4. Okay. And... It just took all the tops out, broke those off, uh, you know, broke a lot of the, the smaller uh, extensions that had a few pods on. And, you know, we got some lower leaves on them and everything. And, you know, I got some test plots here and high state test plots. And uh, so I just wanted the expert's advice on okay. what I need to do. All right. Well, first of all, let me just say, Keith, that we are lucky in terms of hail research. Iowa State has done this for years, and maybe other universities have as well. But we've Darren and I have been to Iowa State when they've been shooting hail at crops. And you might go, what? <laughs> yeah, they've got yeah. an ice machine, and it's great yeah. because then they test yeah. it at all these different stages, take it to yield. And so I always tell people, just pull up Iowa State University hail charts for soybeans. So I that's literally what I did as we were talking here. And so th okay. let me just see if I've, I've, I understand what you're telling me correctly. So maybe 20 or 30 percent of the nodes are cut off and you might have defoliation like 30 or 40 percent. Does that sound fairly accurate? Uh, 
probably 50% defoliation, okay. probably a little more than 30 40. Okay. They were, yeah, they were waist high when they got hit there sure. last evening. Yeah, okay. And it was pea-sized hail, but we had for about 20 minutes just constant. You know, it covered the ground like snow, but it wasn't the yep. big stuff. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, luckily. Luckily, we didn't have any cornfields in the area that got hit, but we had neighbors that did, and it really stripped them up bad. But uh, I talked to Dr. Laura Lindsay, the highest state, and so being specialist. And, sure. uh, and, uh, but I say, I just thought I would talk to you guys a little bit and yeah. see what your thoughts were. Yeah, you bet. Okay, so let's. you said R2 all the way to R4. At R2, I'll just tell you this, if you have, let's call it, even 50% defoliation, that's only a 6% yield loss. That's it. It's not that bad. And if 40% of the nodes are cut off at R2, you're talking 11% yield loss. So not too bad at that point. Um, Right. So anyway, yeah, once you get a little bit later, um, you can obviously do more damage, but um, you're at least fairly lucky that it came this early. And hopefully you're going to turn out okay. Now, the only thing that I will say beyond that is if you had stock damage, that could lead to lodging issues later on and maybe more yield loss. But a lot of times the insurance company is going to come out and say, you know, here's roughly what we think. If you want, you can just take it to yield and we'll see from there. Yeah, the stocks, they're all standing perfect yet. Yeah. Um, Hey, hang on, Keith. We'll be right back. When I step on someone's farm... I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitech fungicide. And there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech. And everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. 
Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right Fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Introducing our most advanced technology from Hypro, the 9915 series diaphragm pumps. Upgraded with corrosion-resistant materials and a multi-piston design to work longer and harder in any condition. Hypro, right on technology, right on target. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. Today we've been talking about sulfur, but right before the break we were visiting with Keith from Ohio who unfortunately got some hail last night. And we were just talking about stock damage on those soybeans. Keith said his beans were standing good at this point, and that's great. What I would just encourage you to do, Keith, is maybe look a little bit closer and just make sure those stocks aren't damaged in any way, because sometimes we do see that where the stocks get damaged, and it all looks fine today, but a month from now, they tip over. And so all I'm saying is... If, let's say, the insurance company was was going to give you some money and just try to be done with it now, I'm always hesitant about that unless we're confident enough that those stocks look good enough to stand all the way through. So that that's my only fear on that deal. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought too, Brian, because I'm in no rush on that. The other question is, uh, how soon would you suggest you know putting fungicide on them to get a little boost? Yep. Yep. So... Um, let me let me just first say, and we talk about this quite often with fungicides after hail, um, you will see the plants look better, the stock quality will remain better, and it'll be easier to harvest. And all those things I, I'm 100% confident in. What I'm not 100% confident in is will you have yield gain? We don't know for sure. Many times it's a bunch of bacterial diseases that will get in rather than the fungal diseases. I just don't know what we're going to have the rest of the summer here. If I was in your situation, would I spray fungicide? I absolutely would. We like spraying our beans with fungicide. We've seen good gains. We usually spray twice each year anyway. So yes, I would do it. Personally, I would wait a few days. Number one, you had rain, so you got to wait till the soil dries out. But number two, I like seeing a little bit of regrowth first. Um, you could spray sooner rather than later, but the thing you got to remember with fungicides is they only protect the leaves they cover. So if you have almost no leaves, then you have almost no protection. Because that's what I was thinking. I wanted to get a little regrowth on the yep. leaves yep. and everything, but I want to make sure and everything. So, well, I sure appreciate the advice, Brian. You bet. Yep. Yep. Good luck over there. And yeah, sorry, sorry you had had to have some hail. That's uh, just an unport, well, we unfortunate part of farming. What's that? Yeah, we did get because uh, we we're extremely dry, so we did get an inch and four tenths of rain out. But, but uh, I was telling the good part. Yep, I was telling some guys just the other day that this year I heard a farmer say something I've never heard before. The guy, this was uh, better than a month ago, and here in South Dakota we've been in three years of drought. And anyway, this right. farmer's had severe drought, and he goes, "You know, I need rain so bad, I'll take hail with it." <laughs> 
<laughs> and I go, whoa, okay, he really must need some rain. So I don't think uh, he got any hail, but I do think he got some rain after that, fortunately. But anyway. All right, hey, Keith, uh, thanks a lot for calling in. Appreciate it. Yep, bye, Joe. Yep, bye. Brian, got this interesting question from Sherry, and she said, my husband sprayed our lawn trying to knock some clover out of the grass. Yep. I've got two-foot-high raised beds. I tried covering them up with old sheets, and we've got a a small yard. We've got little to no wind in there on the day of spraying. Temps Mm -hmm. in the low to mid-70s sprayed in the middle of the day, like 11 Mm a.m. So he used a product that contains 2,4-D and dicamba. And he said, I've got vegetables there. Mm. So i got a couple questions for you. First of all, (laughs) do farmers spray 2,4-D and dicamba directly on vegetables? The only one I could think of, I think, is dicamba labeled on asparagus. But if sweet corn counts... Both those it products does. get used around sweet corn. That's it, sure. though. Uh, other than that, they're so hard on broadleaves that uh, a lot of the broadleaf ones, they don't yeah, do. Yeah, but did she say what vegetables we're talking about? Well, she didn't. But okay. but anyway, she's just wondering, is it safe to eat these vegetables, that sort of thing? And I'm I, not I worried a, about that. I had a couple of things. Okay, first of all, uh, one thing you can do. So he gets done spraying the yard. You could come back and water those raised beds right. and try and wash anything off right. that may have gotten on a leaf. That exactly. would be one thing. Yep. The other thing you could do is look for symptomology on any of those plants. So dicamba and 2,4-D tend to cup up leaves and curl things over. So if you see any curling or cupping, uh, you could discard those plants or those branches or something if you're yep. concerned about that. Okay. And then in the future, you tell your husband, no more dicamba ever. Ever, ever, no one should ever spray dicamba in the lawn, period. No way, no how. Number one, it's more dangerous for human beings. It's got benzene in it. You don't want that. And then number two, we can't stop the volatilization. It's going to volatilize. In other words, it's going to pick up and move. Quit spraying dicamba. Okay, so that's my advice to anyone anywhere in the world. Never, ever spray dicamba in the lawn. I can't be more clear. <laughs> okay. So anyway, with the 2,4-D, I'd say just use Freelix. And then you don't have to worry about all the volatility. But here's the other thing. You could use mesotrione. That's an HPPD. You're not going to have volatility risk with that anyway. Sure, you have spray drift risk. In other words, if he's spraying and it's literally blowing right toward your garden, you got a problem no matter what. So you got to make sure the wind's out of the right direction. But other than that, you don't ever have to worry about an HPPD picking up and moving later. And that may be better on some of your clover anyway. So go with an HPPD or 2,4-D, or the other product we would mention is Drive. Another product that doesn't volatilize, that's quinclorac. It's the same thing we use in uh, sorghum, facet L is what it's called there, but Drive is the name of the product. We found that to be pretty good on clover too. So you got three great choices there where you shouldn't have this kind of issue in the future, worrying about getting it on your crops and causing any issues. But yeah, Darren's dead on right. And and our advice would be if you're ever worried about some pesticide being on your raised beds, just water them and the stuff will wash off for the most part. But you can also look on labels on some of these things to see, okay, is it safe? How long until I can eat that and things like that. But yeah, I, I just I, I just hate these old products that have all that volatility and you have this worry. I don't like worry in my life. You, I'm sure, don't either. So let's, in the future, switch to other products, and then the worry goes away. 
All right, uh, Brian, we got an email, and Janelle forwarded a copy to you here just a few minutes ago. This one comes from Mike over in Illinois. He sent a picture. And Mike said, I was scouting my fields this morning. I came across some soybeans with this going on. And he sends a picture. It's a close-up of soybean nodes. There are uh, at least – Lots I'd say, of flowers. Yeah, lots of flowers. Then there's flowers that have already pollinated. They're starting to turn into pods. It looks like there could easily be 10 pods per node on these soybean plants. Okay. Uh, he said, I'm just wondering – Am I doing something right, or is this just a freak of nature and a stroke of luck here? We had six and a half weeks of no rain, and then we've gotten four and a half inches the last three weeks. Yep, that's great. So soybeans actually don't mind a little bit of early stress. And I say a little bit, I'm not saying excessive stress. But anyway, um, a lot of people panic when they have, we'll call it drought conditions, in June. And I'm always going, don't worry, your soybeans can be just fine. In fact, soybeans love sunlight early in the season. They love it. So it might turn out fine. Now, here's the other thing. I can't tell you for sure that every one of those flowers is going to make a full pod with lots of seeds on there. We, I, I can't tell the difference between what's an aborted flower or what's just a pollinated flower. And also pods can start and they can abort as well. So yes, Things look great at this point, and that's awesome, but there's no guarantee it's going to turn out amazingly well. Now, I'm sure your next question is, well, what can I do to make it turn out amazingly well? A lot of this is going to, for all of us that don't have irrigation, so we can't just put on fertility left and right during the season, um, it's going to come down to what we have in that soil in a lot of cases. We want to make sure that we've got more than ample phosphorus and potassium and just all the the micronutrients and everything else that that plant needs, then we want to try to keep it weed, insect, disease-free as much as possible. And, I mean, some people are using some plant growth hormones and things like that. You can certainly try some of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I'd, I'd just say... I'm encouraged when I see your picture there. Hopefully it turns out well. And the rain thing really helps. So hopefully that continues. We often say August rains make beans, but even mid-July rains will make beans a lot of times as well. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this from Terry in Indiana. Hey, I'm heading over to your field day this year for the first time. Am I able to see everything if I come early at 7 in the morning? Will I be able to get through the whole field day? Or is it something where you need to come back every year just to pick up what you missed? Well, we're going to change a lot of stuff every year. There's new equipment. There are new products, new plots that we're doing, um, new speakers, so much new stuff every single year. So, yeah, we'd encourage you to come every year. But you're going to get a lot out of it. It's a one-day thing. Um, It's going to be a little bit warm that day. So that's part of why we start at 7 a.m. So you can get a lot done in the morning when it's nice and cool. You can find all the details at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.